This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. Well, if my truck thermometer is right, it is definitely summertime. (laughs) Hopefully, that means that some of you at least might get a second to catch your breath. You know, if you have a house full of kids and school is over, you figured out what to do with them now for the summer. Or if you work in the school district or for UT, maybe you'll be able to have a different cadence or a break in your life a little bit. Certainly in the life of the church, we have rolled through Lent and through the great the, the Easter and the great 50 days of Easter and the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and then Trinity Sunday, Vacation Bible School is over. Now we can maybe, maybe catch our breath because it's ordinary time. Right? That's what it's called this season of the year, ordinary time. So maybe it'll feel like that. Whoever the compilers of the lectionary are has no mercy on us. <laughs> Just because it's ordinary time, we're about to get punched in the nose six weeks in a row by the lectionary. We are, what we are going to do is since we have run through this discipleship journey, And now we say we are disciples of Jesus. The lectionary tells us just exactly what that looks like and just exactly how much that's going to cost you to be a disciple of Jesus. Six weeks in a row, we're going to get punched in the nose with stories like the ones that we just heard today. Two of them. The Old Testament lesson, which is just a brutal, agonizing story. You know, at the nine o'clock, the, 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 the reader said, um, after finishing the Old Testament lesson, he said, um, hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. And I found myself wondering, yeah, what is the Spirit saying to God's <laughs> people in that passage? And then we move to the gospel lesson, and it's even more challenging and more difficult. We, fine, we can land on that last part where those who save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. We understand what that is. You know, the tighter we cling to our lives, to our health, to our, or to our finances, to our relationships, the worse things get. And there's something liberating about loosening those things so that God can do something else with them. Okay, I got that. And then we know that Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, saying if they called the leader of the house Beelzebub, meaning him, why do you think they're going to treat you any differently? You know, so... Get ready, be strong. He's trying to give them courage. But this whole part about I come not to bring peace, but a sword. I come to set a son against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And if you love anyone, mother and father, more than me, then you have no part in me. Sorry, that just doesn't sound like Jesus at all. Not the Jesus I know. Is this the Prince of Peace talking? It is. So what is happening here? I think my very best teachers on this particular passage of Scripture were a group of teenagers that I helped take to the Christ Church Cathedral in Houston about 10 or 11 years ago. There's a group from Waco, about 30 teenagers on a bus. Off we go to Houston to the cathedral. It's called Q's, the Cathedral's Urban Service Experience. And you go camp out in their youth space 
and you do work. You go to work for various nonprofits throughout the week, and you do some cultural things, and then you spend the evening processing that, building community. It's great fun. I don't know, that was Wednesday or Thursday of the week, and I, of course, had, it was the week before this Sunday, and so this text was looming in my mind of what am I supposed to say. We were back from our event for the day, and we were playing eight ball at a pool table with a small group of kids, and I said, I need kids, I need your help. I've got to preach a sermon on Sunday, and this text is driving me crazy, and I'd love to know what you think. I said, all right, so I read them that gospel lesson. One of the kids says, wait, who said that? <laughs> I said, Jesus. They were like, no. That, again, that doesn't sound like Jesus, but it's Jesus. So what do you think? And they went around it and they hemmed and hawed and they argued with it and fussed with it and pushed back. And they came up with some interesting observations. And there were two that I kind of clung to. And I thought, yes, okay, I think we're getting there. One was that they one said that this is an invitation from Jesus for us to love Jesus more. They said, because, you know, Jesus can't make us love anybody. So if they make, if Jesus made us love someone, well, it's not love at all. It's an invitation from Jesus to love more. And another kid said, maybe it's really, the, maybe it's not hate your parents, but if you, maybe the way you learn to love your parents rightly is to love Jesus first. I thought that kid's been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> you know, the thing I say to you guys all the time, Jesus between us, right? I think the kid was onto something. Love Jesus first so that we can love one another properly. Because we all know the results of loving improperly, of disordered love. It is a source of profound pain in the world it might be helpful to remind tell you that where we had been that morning we had gone to the holocaust museum in houston and we had experienced that and we had listened to an eyewitness account from a survivor of the holocaust describing in graphic terms the result of disordered love of what happens if you love your power or your might or your military or your country, or your race, more than you love Jesus. It resulted in the most horrible moral atrocity in the history of the world. So the kids had already seen that. So they knew the result of disordered love. So I think this observation that loving Jesus first allows us to love properly. It's pretty sound. The next day, we went to uh, the Salvation Army to feed lunch. And then the manager of the Salvation Army said, I want you, after lunch, I want you to go into the auditorium because we got a group of guys who are in recovery and they're in a program. They're all vets and they're in a program. They've, they've lived hard on the street for a very long time, but they're, they're, they're wanting to work the program and they have a choir. And they have a gig tonight and they want to practice on you. <laughs> they, want, they want you to listen to it. He said, it's a warning. They're terrible. <laughs> but they're happy and they're working the program. So we want to encourage this. And so we said, of course. So we go to the auditorium and the choir comes in. It's 10 or 15 fellas, mostly older people, every race. And 
And I said to him, the way they introduced themselves, I introduced our kids. And I said, by the way, singers, you're singing for singers. We got, we got kids in here who sing. Three of the girls on the trip were in an all-state girls chorus. And so they were like, oh, that's great. That's great. So they felt like they had a, a knowing audience. You know, who's going to appreciate their music. And they sang. And it was terrible. <laughs> but it was real. And it was heart-filled. And they sang, and they sang two or three songs for us, and we, of course, appreciated them. And then they inevitably invite those three girls up on stage with them to sing with them. And they pick a song, and they say, you know this? They go, no, we don't know it. They say, well, it's easy, and there's a little chorus. And they, the girls are good sports. They're trying to figure out the rhythm and the tempo and the tone. And they sang along a little bit. Finally, the, choral, the choir director said, all right, girls, everybody knows this song. This little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let They started singing, and the girls started singing. And it was actually really good. All of them singing, this little light of mine. Grown men who had had a horrible lives and who had seen things in this world that should not exist on this planet, choosing to love Jesus first. Of all the choices in their life they could pick, they pick a children's song. High school girls singing along, saying, yep, I, I choose this. This little light of mine, this love, rightly ordered. I was trying to record it, of course, but I'm crying, so I can't really see. It occurred to me that this is God's answer to the Holocaust, apparently. 15 guys singing this little light of mine. Three high school girls sing this little light of mine. Choosing in the face of all the bad things in the world. Choosing to love Jesus first. To love Jesus first. So maybe they've got a shot at loving the rest of the world properly. So love Jesus first. And then let's give it a shot. Loving the rest of the world properly. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.